Good morning. You can be seated. Kids, you can be dismissed. So when I was a kid, um, I, got in, I got in one fight as a kid, um, like fist fight, and it really wasn't much of a fight. It was really more me getting hit. Um, <laughs> uh, didn't. Is it, is it really a fight if you don't throw a punch? And I didn't throw a punch in this fight. Uh, there's a, I was probably in the, it's called a loss, he says. <laughs> That's right. Um, I was probably in the sixth or seventh grade or so, something like that. And a new kid on our, uh, in our neighborhood, we used to go to this little, it's a big parking lot, big open parking lot. We play basketball, kickball, baseball, whatever. So we're up there uh, goofing off one day and a new kid and, uh, we had tennis balls, and I threw a tennis ball at this kid. We were all throwing tennis balls at each other, just being goofy kids. And he took offense and, like, stood up and said something to me and then just clocked me right in the jaw. I'm like, before I, what? Like, I'd never been in a fight before. I'd never taken a punch, never thrown a punch, none of that. And then another one, bam. And so when I was, when I was like, in the sixth grade, I was, uh, I bet I was 80 pounds at that point. Um, so think like, like Mia, right? My daughter, that's about the, and, and he was a little bigger than that, but my brother was a couple years older than me and he's a big dude and he was there. So there was no, no, no third punches. Uh, he threw this guy threw two punches at me, hit me in the face twice. And then my brother sent him on his way. Um, but as he sent him on his way, this kid was like, I'm going to get my brother. And my brother is this guy, and we knew this guy. We knew his brother, and so he was, they were supposed to be coming back. So it was going to be his brother and him against me and my brother. And, like, I'd never been in a fight before. I'd just been hit in the face twice, like, totally out of the blue. And I was really, really scared about what was coming um, and freaked out about it. Turns out... His big brother and my brother were like best friends, and so they both said, this is stupid, and nothing ever happened. But the point is, I was really, really scared for a while, because now big brother wasn't there to save me. Big brother was, needed, some, needed big brother to come and save him. Uh, so, and, and that's very similar to our story today. So if you open your Bible to um, 1 Samuel chapter 20, uh, we're going to read the story of, uh, and this morning is all about friendships and gospel friendships. And we're going to read a story about how a gospel friendship literally saved David's life. Um, King David is, is who this Life in Chaos series is all about and, and looking at David's life in chaos. And for David, in the midst of this time, and I, I, I want to be certain that we understand this fact, that there is someone who is the, probably the most powerful man in this kingdom— that wants to kill David. Um, very similar to me in my little playground. There's a, somebody with authority that's going to come and, and beat me up. And so if you've ever been that way before, like looking forward to something you know is going to be bad for you, this is David, only it's, it's way worse than that because this guy wants, literally wants to kill David. So we're going to see how a gospel friendship literally saved David's life and if you know much about the scriptures, David is a, is a central figure. He's not yet king, but will be king. And more than that, 
prophecy has been spoken about David that Jesus is going to come from the line of David. So Jesus will be born out of David's ancestors. So not only does a gospel friendship save David's life, but also this gospel friendship preserves the plan of God. So the plan of God to redeem all of mankind to himself is contingent upon this gospel friendship. So I want to, before we get into the, the meat of the story, we need to see the fact that, like, this is, this is, David's life is in extreme chaos. There's someone with power and with authority and with ability who is seeking to kill him. And God's redemptive plan from all eternity past is at stake in David's life. Um, never fear, it all works out. Uh, so let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. And let me tell you the, the three main characters that are here and, and three simple little adjectives or descriptions of, of who they are. First is King Saul. He's the one that wants to kill David. He's jealous, he's angry, and he's murderous. He's tried to kill David already several times. Uh, last week we talked about how he, he threw a spear at David a couple of times. And so he's tried to kill him because he knows that David is a threat to his throne. And last week we talked about threats to our own thrones. So what we call our king, Jesus wants to be your king. And we see Jesus sometimes as a threat to that. David, or Saul, sees David as a threat to his throne. The second person in the story is Jonathan. Jonathan is a true friend. He's humble and he's meek. Humble meaning I'm willing to give of myself and meek meaning the things that are happening around me, I trust that God has a good plan in store. Last week, we talked about how Jonathan knew that David was going to be king, and he gave up himself anyway. And Dave, Jonathan literally gave David his birthright. Jonathan was supposed to be the king because he's, John, he's Saul's son, but Jonathan gave that birthright away to David because he knew God had a bigger plan than Jonathan did. So he's humble and meek and a true friend. And then the last one is David in our story. He is scared, he's anointed, and he's needy. And I put those in that. I sandwiched anointed. He, God has chosen him to be the next king, and God has chosen him to, to made a, a, a covenant with David that Jesus will come from his line. But on either side of that, of, of this like anointing from God, we all want anointing from God. We all want something from God. But what it cost, what this anointed, anointing cost David is what's there. It's made him scared and it's made him needy. And I think we see God a lot of times as a, as a Pez dispenser, like he's just giving stuff out. But on either side, because David has been anointed, these other things are about, if, if David had not been anointed, he would not be scared right now and he would not be needy right now. But he is, because he is anointed. So most of the time, a lot of the times, gifts, challenges, um, strength that God gives to us comes with circumstances that we would label as, as difficult. Uh, so let's, let's get into our, our passage real quick here. We're going to run through the story quickly and then draw some uh, application from it. Uh, Verse 1, it says, Then David fled from Naoth, Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? 
what is my guilt? What is my sin before your father who seeks my life? He's coming to his friend and saying, why, dude, why does your dad want to kill me? Why? What's happening? Verse 2. And he said to him, far from it, you shall not die. My father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why would my father hide this from me? It's not so. In other words, dude, you're tripping. If he was going to do it to me, if he was going to kill you, he would have told me about it. Relax. David, verse 3, vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is a step between me and death. So I've highlighted that here on the screen. There is a step between me and death. Because I want to illustrate the, the proximity of the danger for David. There is David says to Jonathan, there is a step between me and death. He's right on the precipice. Imagine, like think about me in that playground as a little kid. There's like this kid's coming and he's going to beat me up and he could be walking around the corner any second. And that's, like that's a very real thing. I can really remember it today. The guy's name was Larry Lampazzi and he came, he punched me twice and he's coming back. Well, that sounds like a tough name too, right? <laughs> little Italian kid going to come and take this little 80... First of all, come on, man. I'm 80 pounds. I'm a little bitty kid. What's the matter with you? But, but the, the, the idea is, is the same thing. There's, there is a real, genuine, present threat for David. Imagine the chaos that your life would be in. Imagine the, the stress, the, the, the fear, the worry, the anxiety that would be present in your life if the most powerful man in your world literally wanted to kill you. And not just that, but he had the power and authority and nobody's going to say anything to him. If he kills you, he's not got jail in his future. He's just, he's king. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. So this is the chaos that David finds himself in. And so like, this is maybe a familiar story to some of you. And so we can miss the anxiety. This has to be a, a deeply, deeply anxious moment for David and for Jonathan because they're, they're great friends. Uh, verse 4. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. And I, I've highlighted that on the, on the screen as well. I, I want us to, to see that. This is a gospel friendship has, has already blossomed, but a gospel friendship acts and, and stuff happens. And, and you engage in the, in the chaos of your friends, whatever you say, man, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm there for you. Um, you ever seen a, uh, like an acceptance speech to an award, uh, or, or like a, an interview with, with an athlete after they've won a championship? A lot of times they're talking about, I want to thank this person because they've always been there for me, right? That's that's an, that's an important thing in our culture, to to have people that are always like you can. Who's somebody in your life that's always been there for you? Picture them. This is what, this is happening here for Jonathan and David. Jonathan has always been there for David, and now Jonathan is actually articulating that to David. I'm going to be here for you. And, and it's really costly for Jonathan because his dad is the most powerful man in, in this section of the world. His dad is that guy. And Jonathan has that power at his fingertips. If he, he has 
well within his rights to disavow David, run away, and go take his, his throne back. When his dad dies, he's going to be the king. But he doesn't. He sticks. He stays there because he is a gospel friend. So what happens? Here comes the, the active part from Jonathan and David. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, which means there's a festival that's happening and I should not fail to sit at the table with your king. In other words, there's a big festival happening in our world and your dad's going to throw a dinner and he's going to expect me to be there. But let me go that I may hide myself in the field until the third day at evening. So I'm not going to go to dinner with you and your family. Verse 6, if your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem his city for this is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. So David tells Jonathan to tell his dad that he went home. He's not going to be here because of that. Verse 7, if he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. So the plan is we're going to go to dinner. I'm not going to go to dinner. You're going to go to dinner. Your dad's going to miss me and ask where he, he is. And you're going to say he went to Bethlehem. If, he, if he's happy about the fact that I get to go to Bethlehem and be with my family, then he doesn't want to kill me. If he's mad about it, then he does want to kill me. So that's, that's the setup. Verse 9. Uh, actually, verse 8. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring your father? In other words, if, if, if I've done something wrong, if something is wrong with me, I want you, my friend, to kill me rather than your dad, who's my enemy. And Jonathan said, far be it from me, far be it from you. If I knew that there was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, will you tell me if your father answers roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go into the field. So they both went out into the field. I've highlighted that. Come, let us go out into the field. Because I, I want us to see it. I want to miss like, this, this story, what's happening, that Jonathan actually goes with David. And I want to see gospel friends walking alongside. Gospel friends don't just come up with plans. They, they, they walk alongside you. Jonathan could have said, okay, go, dude, I want you to go over to that field and hang out there and I'll come back. But no, he walks with him there. Uh, I think that's important for us to see. Verse 12. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then disclose it to you? But it should, should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more if I do not disclose it to you. If he wants to kill you and I don't tell you about it, God, I want you to kill me and kill me even worse. And send you away that I may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive... Show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I might not die. We need to, we need to see the risk that, that Jonathan is taking. This is, this is treason here that Jonathan is committing against his dad. I'm going to trick my dad, and if my dad finds out about my trick, I'm going to die. So David, Jonathan says, if I'm still alive, when you get to be king, please show me the steadfast love of the Lord. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house. When the Lord cuts off the 
every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Jonathan trusts that David really is the anointed one. Verse 16. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. There is a deep connection between Jonathan and David. Now, that's, that's the story. That's what's happening. What points can we draw from this? I think there's uh, four really important things for us to see, for us to draw application for our life. First, uh, you need gospel friendships. Uh, we're going to face chaos. You're going to face chaos. There's chaos that's happening around you all the time. And to press through that, we need gospel friendships. Look at Saul. Saul had a lot of fans and not a lot of friends. When you have a lot of fans and not a lot of friends, when you're wrong, when you're sinning, when you're bitter, when you're running from God, when you're doing that which is not right, when you have fans, they don't, they don't give you trouble for that. When you have friends, they press into that. What happens if Saul has friends like Jonathan? What happens to Saul if Saul has gospel friends? None of this happens. They trust in who God is, and they trust in God's plan. And, and Saul never, run, never falls away from God. But Saul puts around him fans and not friends. Do you see the, the, the major difference there? And I think a lot of what we would call friends for us are really just fans. Yeah, way to go. Good job. Good job. But when the going gets tough, when things get difficult... They, fans run away. Do you think when David becomes the king that Saul's got a lot of people sitting around him telling him how great he is? No, they're fans. They're, they're fair-weather fans. But, but we need friends and not fans. But then look, like, fast forward for David. Um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the, the story of David and Bathsheba. And the story of David and Bathsheba is David lusted after Bathsheba, a man, a, a woman who was married, and he was married to somebody else, and they had an adulterous affair together, and there was a friend in David's life who pressed into that, and David repented of that sin and, and sought God in the midst of repentance. So David has gospel friends around him, and it's so vastly important for us to have gospel friendships. I want to ask you a few questions are you, do you have gospel friends? Do you have gospel friends? I want you, these, by the way, these are rhetorical. Um, but I want you to consider them, think through them. I want you to process through them in community groups or with your spouse or with your good friends. Do you have gospel friends? How do you know that they're gospel friends and not fans? Talk with your friends about what the difference is between a fan and a friend. Because a lot of times we can think we have friends, but they're probably fans. Are you hiding from gospel friends? Are you hiding from gospel friends? K- 
Can you see your need for gospel friends? Are you resistant to intimacy and friendships? Let's say one again. Are you resistant to intimacy in your friendships? Maybe because of past mistakes, maybe because of past getting burned, maybe because of bitterness or fear or, or guilt that you have because maybe you don't think you're a very good friend? Are you resistant to intimacy and friendships? But the, the fact of the matter is you need gospel friendships. Deal with that today. Deal with that in community groups this week. Um, the second thing for us to see here is to, to be a gospel friend. People around you are living life in chaos. And I found over the years that there are certain friendships that we have and even acquaintances that we have, relationships that we have, where we are in a unique position to speak truth and the gospel into other people. All right? I want to say that again slowly. You, there are people in your life that you are in a unique position to speak the gospel to them. Does that make sense? There's some people that you can speak the gospel to, that you, can, you have a relationship with, that I don't have authority to speak into their life. There, there may be three or four people in this, on this planet who you and you alone are, you, are in a unique position to speak the gospel to them. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a, an old friend. Maybe it's a neighbor. I've got a guy who I haven't seen in, in years. But I, I have a sort of, he lives up in the, the, up the northwest of the U.S. And I don't, I've, haven't seen him in years, but we talk all the time. I'm in a unique, unique position to speak the gospel to him. That probably no other person in the world has a chance to, to be a gospel friend to him like I do. And chances are there's one, two, three people in your world who you're, no one else in the world has the chance to speak the gospel into them the way that you do. And we need to rise up in the midst of that. Because, like in this story, David literally saves, or Jonathan literally saved David's life. But more than that, because Jonathan saved David's life, the redemptive plan of all of mankind to bring Christ to this world, to live and die for our sins, and so that we might have life with, God, life with Christ, the plan of God was dependent upon Jonathan taking advantage of his perfectly unique situation. So I, I want to underscore this fact. That I, I, I think, I hope that maybe you guys are thinking about specific people that you have a unique position to speak the truth to them, to speak the gospel to them. It could be that God's plans and purposes are going to come through you. And if you're the only one or in a unique position to speak the truth to them, rise up to that. You can literally watch the plan of God take its fruition in this person because of your gospel friendship toward them. It's massively important for you to see this. The third thing for us to look at from this. Gospel friends walk with people. Um, where are people around you in the midst of their chaos? Uh, a tough job situation, sick parents, marriage trouble, illness in them, maybe a, a new baby. Look at, think about places where people's lives are in chaos. And um, 
I want to tell this, this story about some, some friends of mine. Uh, there's a friend who has uh, cancer that's it's a very close friend of, of our, our group of friends. Our kids all go to the same school together. Uh, and started out with breast cancer, and now it's in lots of different spots in her body, uh, organs, bones, those sorts of things. And uh, it's been a really difficult season for her. But she's got a, this, this woman has a group of friends that are gospel friends to her, but one friend in particular um, has walked with her. She's been to uh, 30 chemo appointments. She was there in the room when the doctor told her she had 12 months to live. She has taken three trips to Houston for uh, specific bigger treatments. She's taken, what is it? Uh, she's taken 11 days off of work to, to walk with this woman. Uh, she has worked nights, weekends, overnights so that she can go to these appointments with her. She is literally walking with her through the midst of her chaos. And this is what Christ is calling us to do, to walk with people in their chaos and, and walk with people in such a way that, cause, that costs us something. Think about your world and your life. What kind of friendships do you have? What kind of walking with people in chaos is, is real in your world? And friendship with this person is going to cost you something. Are you willing to pay the price to be this gospel friend, to walk with someone? I hope so, because it's so very important for us. The last thing, and this is the most beautiful thing that we can see here. Jesus is the true and better Jonathan. So let's look at Jonathan's life and see all the great things that Jonathan did in the story, but see how he was a shadow of the wonderful things of who Christ is. Jonathan willingly risked his life and gave up his throne for his friend. Jesus willingly gave up, gave up his life and his throne for his friends. I, I want to... So Jonathan risked his life. But he didn't give it up. He didn't die. Saul doesn't kill Jonathan in the end of the story. Jonathan risked his life for his friend David. Jesus, not just risked his life, gave it up for his friends. Jonathan gave up his throne. His, literally gave up his throne. Christ, and I say this a lot because I think we miss it, before Jesus was put into the womb of Mary. He was in heaven for all eternity past, sitting on a throne next to God, receiving praise and glory and worship and honor, seated on a throne, a literal throne in heaven. And he left that to come to this planet. Just like Jonathan giving up his throne, Christ has given up his throne to come and live among us. But then look at John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. I think a lot of times we think of Christ in this big, glorious, wonderful sense, and that's it's valuable, it's, it's accurate. But John, who was a friend of Christ, calls us his friends. Do you I, I want you to hear me say that to you today? Jesus calls you friend. 
talking a lot about gospel friendships today. I got to hang out with, with some friends last night at a, at a wedding. It was an incredible night, wonderful, fun night of, of, of current friends and old friends and friends I hadn't seen in a while and got to make their acquaintance again and got to engage life with them again. And I thought about this verse, how great it was to, to sit with, with new and old and and friends I haven't seen in a while, and think about the idea of friends and the bond that we share and what's true about our relationship that allows me to call them friend. So think about that. What's true about your relationships that allow you to call people, that is my friend. What's true about those relationships? Jesus calls you friend. That's a, for me, that's, that's really powerful. The second thing, Jesus is the true and better Jonathan. Jonathan walked with his friend. Jesus walks with his friend. You see the tense difference there? Jonathan walked with his friend out to the field and hid him where he needed to be to preserve his life. Jesus walks with you where you need to be to preserve your life. Think about Jonathan as a, as a shadow, as a picture, as an image of Christ that is to come, walking with his friend to hide him so that he can preserve his life. Jesus is walking with you now and forever to get you to the place to preserve your life. Everywhere around you are images of the gospel. Jonathan's life, walking with David out into the field, is a picture of the gospel. Jesus walks with you. And not just walks with you in an intangible sense. Look at this, verse 15 from Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest, that's Christ, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Let's pause. We don't have, Jesus isn't someone who, can, who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. He doesn't know what I'm going through. That's not true because we have a high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. There is nothing in this world that you have encountered that Christ did not first encounter and defeated. And that Christ walks with you in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your trouble and puts you in a place where you're safe. Where those that want to take your life cannot. Because Jesus has walked with you and put you where you are to protect you and persevere your life. That's really, really good news. And Jonathan is a picture of it, but Jesus is the true and better Jonathan. The last note. David was one step between, between him and death. But Jesus is one step between you and life. Jonathan was one step between David and death. Jesus is one step between us and life. Like, I don't, I don't really think I want to say much about that. That's just, it's glorious. Let's read this verse. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And being put to death in the flesh, made us alive in the Spirit. Before Christ, without Christ, we are one step from death. But because of Christ, because he has done what he has done, once for all, finished, done with, we now have 
life. So, if you are being accused in your brain of sin that somehow makes you think that you're less than acceptable to God, it's just not true. Your friend Christ once for all paid for that so that you might have this sort of relationship and friendship with Christ that brings life to you, that can't be touched. This is great news. The, the simple picture of David and Jonathan's friendship is the picture of the friendship that Christ wants to have with you and then calls you to have with people. Let's, uh, let's pray and respond to our Christ. God, I thank you so much for images and stories in Scripture that paint beautiful pictures. I thank you that you sent your son, the true and better Jonathan. I thank you that your son Jesus walks with us. I thank you that he walks with us to places to protect and persevere our lives. I thank you that we are one step from life because of your son Jesus. God, I pray that you would connect our brains and our minds to that. And in these moments as we respond, that you would, you would interact with us. God, I, I, I ask that you would bring people into your presence this morning. Maybe even for the first time. Jesus is humbly calling us to friendship with him. Simply offering without strings attached to be friends with us. To take us from being one step from death to being one step from life. God, I thank you for Jesus. It's in the power of his perfect name that I pray.